Welcome back, fans, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I'll be your host once again this week. It is, of course, Thursday, July the 14th, 2016. And this week's show is brought to you in part by Tweetin Fiber Company, makers of Master Chalk and a whole host of accessories for your game made right here in the USA. And by Q Sports International, creating more events and more choices for more players. Thanks, guys, for tuning in this week. Uh, We have a good little show for you. It would have been a whole lot better had things gone smoother today. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But first, uh, we have to send out some congratulations to Mr. Rodney Morris. Uh, You know, he took a couple of more, um, well, he placed in a couple of more events, and he's still in the lead in the Moscone Cup running. Um, Oscar is close on his tail at this point. So in the Moscone points race, Mr. Rodney Morris is up to 138. Oscar is at 133. And the closest competitor is Mike DeShane with 114. A little further down the line, you got Skyler, Sean Wilkie, Shane Van Boning, of course, Hunter Lombardo, Shane McMahon, Cordul, Rob Saez. You know, they're trailing in there. But um, you got your top two or three there, Rodney, Oscar, and Mike, kind of leading the pack. Now, it is very early in the race, so don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Things will change, I promise you that. Some of these other events come around. uh, There will be more points, you know, being distributed between other players. So stay tuned to find out what happens with the Moscone Cup race. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, And if you didn't know already, the Atlantic Challenge Cup with the juniors just finished up this weekend. And, uh, oh gosh, you know, the, uh, the European team handed us a dose of some strong medicine. I'll just put it to you that way. Uh, they took the event with 11 matches to three. Um, last year, it was a little bit closer of a race. Uh, this year, mm, not so much. Uh, you know, I, and this is the part where I have to jump ahead to what went wrong today. Um, right now, as we speak, the BCA Billiard and Home Leisure Show is going on, and the BEF Junior Nationals is also going on in the same building, same time, right next to each other. I spent the day, the day out there today. Um, fantastic event. Lots of great kids, lots of great companies, a lot of buzz in the pool world going on in Chicago this summer, that's for sure between the Atlantic Challenge Cup and the Junior Nationals. And I was able to get about five or six different people for interviews. Spoke to Skip Nemesek of uh, Tweet and Fiber, which is uh, Master Chalk, and Elk Master, lots of other things. I uh, spoke to Mr. Mike Pinozo of Billiards Digest. I spoke with um, Scott Lee, Shane Van Boning, uh, Earl Munson, and Rick, Rick, um, <laughs> he's going to get mad because I can't remember his name. Ah, the ref, Rick. Darn it. I'm sorry, Rick. Anyway, 
got back to the studio and all of my interviews were toast. Digital destruction. The only one that I don't, I can't explain it. Um, I spent over an hour and a half talking to people today, doing interviews and, and commentary, and something went wrong. Something went, went weird with the device. And uh, the only one that survived, the only interview that survived was that with Skip. So congratulations, Skip. You defied the digital destruction. Uh, to the to the rest of my friends that I got to interview today, I am very sorry that material is annihilated. I don't, I cannot explain to you what happened to it, but uh, it went poo. So the show will be a little shorter than we expected. Uh, I thought I was going to have a great hour and a half of material for you, but uh, the computer won today. That's for sure. Nonetheless, uh, we have a great interview with Skip Nemesek, and we're going to be covering a couple more chapters in Willie Hoppy's book. Uh, but before we go there, um, let me just, I want to tell you what the interviews said. Uh, since we don't have the material, I will relay the message that was given to me. Um, when I spoke to Mr. Pinozo and the Team USA captain Earl Munson and the referee Rick, who all's name I'll remember in a minute, and Scott and Shane. The reason why I talked to them, I wanted to know what their feelings were about the event, the juniors event, the Atlantic Challenge Cup, and, and the junior nationals that were going on, and, and the BCA trade show. Oh, and I spoke to Shane Tyree from the BCA, too. Great interview. Fantastic interviews from all of them. I really wish I could give them to you. Um, and, but I can't. But there was one message that they all shared in their interview. And it was that the, the realization of how great this event actually was. This wasn't just a bridge uh, from the U.S. to Europe. This was like a seven-way bridge. It went, it connected people, it connected companies it connected, uh, you know, players, and you know what we may have or may have not got to in Skip's interview was the fact that these kids all got to spend time with each other, re relaxing and recreating first before they ever, you know, stepped foot to the table. So the attitude at the event was so much more jovial. And it's not that it wasn't serious. Everybody there, Europeans and Americans alike, played very seriously. But you would be hard-pressed to find one single moment where somebody frowned or got angry about something. There were no arguments between any players of any team. There were no, you know, disputes. There weren't. There was no ugliness. It might have been the most positively charged pool event that I've ever attended. And it made me really proud, actually. Not just for the kids that went through with it and went, you know, worked so hard to be there. <coughs> Excuse me. But one of the things that was extracted from the, the interviews that we did was the another reason to be proud that the Americans and their sponsors put this together. You know, what in what could be considered record time, 
and they covered every single base. They did not leave any stone unturned. The the teams and the sponsors and everybody was taken care of from beginning to end. All the details. Um, you know, I mentioned to Skip that um, about the only thing that went wrong with the event is they decided to move the broadcasting booth into another room so that when uh, the commentators were speaking, they wouldn't disturb the players. That was about the worst thing that they had to deal with during the whole thing. So congrats to the BCA uh, and Shane, Tyree, Rob Johnson, and all the rest of the crew for stepping up and making this happen. Congrats and, and thank you to Tweet and Fiber Company and Skip Nemesek in particular for pushing to make this happen. Um, it might not have happened, actually, if it had not been for him. And for CSI and Matchroom and Diamond and for, I mean, I'm going to miss some of these guys. Aramith, um, you know, Simonis, AZ Billiards, all McDermott, all the Peshawar Qs, all the sponsors that believed in these kids enough to come together. Uh, Bravo, props to you guys. Fantastic job. Fantastic coming together. And that was one of the other things that was so impressive about it is that you saw um, fellow industry members, even competitors in some cases, coming together because they they believe that this is the right thing to do and this is the best thing to do for us right now. And it is. So thank you and props to all of you. And thank you to all the, the, the players and your parents and your friends and family that all <laughs> that support you and tolerate you. Uh, you know, this this obsession that we call pool. Um, looking out over the the room where the BEF Junior Nationals were going on today, I'm watching some of the top juniors. What a joy to see those guys enjoying themselves and, you know, getting into this game very seriously. Fantastic stuff. But I also had the opportunity to see some kids little very, very young children really enjoying themselves. That was the best part for me, the best part about it, seeing these kids get into this, something that we've enjoyed our whole lives. They're on that route to discovery. So it's, uh, it, like, again, I just can't thank all these guys enough because, you know what, we're going to be talking to these kids again. They are going to be around for a while. These are the 13, 14, 15-year-olds that are coming up. 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. You're going to be hearing these names again. So, um, again, can't I cannot under or understate, overstate the, 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 the importance of uh, events just like this. And if you're not a supporter of Junior Pool or the Junior Scene, find a way to do it. You know, if you love the game. If you really do care about it, then find a way to do it because uh, this is good stuff, man. I'm telling you. And if you have kids, you totally understand where I'm coming from. Sorry to ramble on about that. Um, the BCA trade show, again, humming. Lots of companies there. Lots of great products out there. And the Junior Nationals stellar event. What we're going to do now is turn you over to Mr. Skip Nemesek of Tweeten. He's going to give you uh, a little report on his thoughts, and then we'll get on with uh, Mr. Willie Hoppy's book. I believe we're all going to be on chapters um, 6 and 7, or 7 and 8. So we'll be right back after this. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. This is David Bond with American Billiard Radio, and I am out at the BCA uh, Home and Trade Show. Is that the official name of it? Uh, trade Expo. The Home uh, Billiard and Home Leisure Expo. That's exactly go. what it's called. And I'm talking with uh, Mr. Skip Nemesek of Tweeton, and uh, he's going to give us uh, his thoughts on how the Atlantic Challenge Cup went this year. <laughs> how you doing, Skip? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Beautiful day in Chicago. It's perfect. Boy, thoughts on the ACC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some pleasant thoughts on the ACC. How long is the radio show? <laughs> it certainly talked forever, but I'm... There's a lot of things that could be said, I guess. But. Well, I'm pleasantly pleased that it was so really overly successful this year. And I don't think the final score indicates the great success that it was. Um, but... I think Europe deserves all the praise because they certainly brought over a lot of talent. Um, but in the same point, I also think that Team USA was a stellar team this year. Mm-hmm. Just a great group of kids. The best kids you could ever meet, really. Yes. Um, and I'm so proud of all of them. I'm really proud of the whole event. It was just beautiful. Loved yes. every second of it. I was there for uh, two of the three days during competition. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't four four days yeah, of competition, yeah, but yeah. Um, everything went really smoothly. I think the only I, the only glitch was moving the, the the broadcasting booth out of the room, right? Just so that they didn't have the talking distraction in there, right? But right. Other than that, it seemed like play was all you know went well. Everybody. Right. I didn't see any uh, tempers flaring uh, no. or any attitude. No, I not mean, at all. Which is not to be um, uh, pessimist, you know, but uh, for that many people to be in the same room playing that heated of a competition, you would think that somebody's going to get angry or somebody's going to get frustrated. And every and it just it seems like it was very uh, it was intense. Well, I, but I think, don't think anybody. Was, but I think that's the nature of the event. The well, event sure. is structured in such a way that this is certainly about pool, but it's also about being ambassadors from many sure. countries yes. all getting together and finding commonality through pool, through great competition, yes. uh, but it has nothing to do with cutthroat competition. Right, and, that's a fact. Uh, those American kids were just as excited as the European kids were for the Europeans to have won it. That's right. And they're all friends, and they became friends, that's and right. they probably... Um, have really developed lifelong friendships, I believe, and that's really what this is all about, about bringing the whole pool world together. Right, exactly. And, uh, so no, I don't ever anticipate any screaming or yelling or animosity or anything. They spend three days together sightseeing and have dinners. And, right, right. You know, when it comes to pool, yeah, these guys are really serious. These kids take it very, they're all amazing players, that's so right. much fun to watch. Um, but this event is, it's, it's, a, it's a lot bigger than just pool. It absolutely is. It, it's a wonderful bridge. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not just a one-way bridge. It's not just a two-way bridge. You know, it's like a seven-way bridge. Right, it right. Leads, so many things lead to and from this. Exactly. Like you said, the friendships, the, the relationships, uh, the respect. You know, it, it's funny. 
you mentioned the kids all spending time together first before they even compete. Right. So they already know who it is Absolutely. that they're on the table with. It's not this. Friends. It's not right. It's not this stranger right. that's out to kill you. Right. It's just another kid just like you that wants to and come and do well just like you did. You I know? think the greatest example of it is on the last night on the going away banquet. Now for two years in a row. Uh, both teams get together and they do a jersey exchange mm, okay. and they give each other their jerseys and they sign them and you would think that they were getting golden robes. Right. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And they really love that and yeah. I love to see that camaraderie. I love to see the friendships that get developed. Um, and I wanted to get back to something you said, you know, the tournament went real smooth, and I just want to give a lot of thanks to Rob Johnson and Shane Tyree. Sure. It's the first time they've ever put on a pool event, ever. Wow. And they did an absolutely stellar job. And I think uh, I'm really happy and very grateful for CSI and the work that they did, and the live stream yes. was it was phenomenal. Yes. I mean, everything about this whole event, JP's photographs, I mean, oh my God, yes. this thing <laughs> looks so beautiful because of the, the eyes of JP. Yes, it is. Um, everything from the referees, Earl, all the all the celebrity coaches, everything. It was just, it was it was perfect. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for next year, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. Have they chosen a, a location yet for next year? They won't know until probably the end of the year because the Europe, in Europe, it's a little bit different. Obviously, uh, the EPBF has 35 plus federations that are members, and they will vote on the location for 2017. Okay. okay. So, at their general membership meeting, I think in December, they will decide, and we'll know hopefully right after the first of the year. Certainly, it'll be somewhere in Europe, yes. um, but we don't know and. I, I, all I know is I'll be there. I don't care where it's at. Yes. Well, that's outstanding. And, and you know, I, I want to give credit to you <laughs> for pushing and pushing and, and, and insisting and not letting the, the powers that be get distracted as they have the tendency to do sometimes. <laughs> and follow this thing through. You know, you made it happen. Well, you know, I, I I don't think any one of these guys would have uh, taken the time or the effort to do what you did. I, I don't know about that. I just think that or maybe everybody they just needed now, you to inspire them is what it is. Everybody now sees that there's a a really big generation of wonderful junior players in America, certainly in Europe, Asia, sure. all over the world, um, and I just felt like we needed to really develop our junior programs more and certainly the the numbers have shown that the the participation for this year's nationals is the highest ever that's right that's uh, the right. bf is doing a great job and sam's doing a wonderful job and i i just love the idea of showcasing these kids absolutely uh, because the talent this is the talent and pool for the next 20 plus years. That's right. That's right. These are your next Shanes and Mikes Absolutely. and Allisons and Karens. And you know, there is something important that, that you mentioned that I want to follow up on the development of the kids, you know, um, and the BEF, actually the, the BEF Junior Nationals going on right now in the next room over. 93 
participants? Is that what we were up to? 93 or was that 100? No, 200. Oh, 200. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it was 93 teams in the doubles. That's right, what it was. Right, right, right. Okay, no, yeah. 200 participants, they actually had to cut it off this year. They didn't have they enough room. Qualifiers in 40 something states now. 43, I think. 43 46, states. 46, something and, like that. And yeah. just a couple of years ago, it was a fraction oh, of that. Absolutely, yeah. So here's my point with bringing that up, you know. Uh, I think it's it's fairly clear to most everybody, if they watch the ACC or if you've watched any of the Moscone Cups, we have issues when it comes to keeping up with the world stage. There's only a few Americans that can really excel, and that is a, yet another reason why these base level junior programs are even that much more important. Absolutely. Get them started earlier. Absolutely. Get them started more intensive right. earlier. Don't right. let them get to be 25 or 30 years old before they get to the U.S. Open. Absolutely. It's too late. You know, it's too you, late. You're not, you know. So well, the more I, of these opportunities that we have, that that definitely is going to not only increase the numbers of professionals we will eventually produce, right? But they will also raise their own talent level amongst themselves no because doubt. the competition will increase. Well, I've had the pleasure of going to um, several of the last uh, junior world championships, yep. and. I see the talent level across the world, and certainly we have very good talent in America, um, but now American kids have, they have many opportunities to aspire to. They have the ACC team to aspire to, they have world championships to aspire to, right, the right. numbers are growing, and yeah, I, I just, I look at it like these are great kids every single one of them mm -hmm. and if this is our talent pool for the next 20 or 30 years we're in really good shape we're in good shape that's what i mean these kids are set to become they're well on their way to becoming very high level professionals if they just can stick to it and we have to keep providing them opportunities exactly. to make it worth their time exactly to take that time That's to right. devote to the practice unless That's you right. give them some justification for it it doesn't matter how good they are they're not going to do it if, it, if, if they're going to have to live out of a bean can right <laughs> yeah and their exactly. parents aren't going to are not going to support that either so, that's right so all these these little things little things like this you know will gain momentum so anyway thanks again skip for your, all the effort that you put into this and to csi and to even Matchroom got in on it. Yeah, they were they helped yeah, us sponsor absolutely. it, which is I mean that's a great thing because well, there's so hopefully some of these kids are going to end up in their event too. One of the big important things about the Atlantic Challenge Cup has always been that this had to be an inclusive event, and that's you right. can just look at all the sponsors that got behind this. Um, Matchroom, CSI. I mean the list is endless. That's right. Predator, you name it. Um, that's right. And, and that's the future. We, we have to come together and provide the opportunities for these kids that's right. to, to provide us with entertainment because quite honestly, I love watching these guys. Oh play. yeah, no, I'm telling it's you. It's the best. It is, it is. They are, it, it, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's the same look that you could see in a competitor's eye, just yep. at a younger yeah, age. And exactly. it's very impressive to watch some of them how they carry themselves and how they walk uh, the table and how it's they, wonderful. it's just, it is. It's, it's really priceless. good. It really is that good. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, well, we're going to let David. you get out. Thank you for all your support and help as well. Absolutely. It's like, like you said, it's one of our favorite things to do is to support the juniors in the upcoming events. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, the April Larson's and the Taylor Hansons and the Shane Wolfords and the Serena Blacks of the world. And, the, and, you know, we hope to be doing interviews with them again. Absolutely. You and, will. And, and, 
There's no well, doubt. Well, as I say, we will. will be doing interviews <laughs> yeah, with these no kids. There's no doubt you will. In four or five years, you know, and um, hope that we can follow them, you know, on their career path to, to excellence. Well, I'll say, I just want to say one thing yeah, about April. April was MVP of Team USA last she year. She was, yeah. Uh, April was the only returning member to Team USA this year, and April's only 16. So April can play for the next three years on the ACC team, and I anticipate she will. Uh, She's almost become the face of this team, quite Uh honestly. And uh, yeah, you're going to be doing plenty of interviews with her. I think we will. I think she's got some some, uh, little making up ground to do from this year. She had kind of a bad time. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Well, I mean, everybody gets, you know, you have good days and you have bad days. You know what? April had a smile on her face the entire time. That's right. As she always does. (laughs) And, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not worried about any of our kids. They're all great kids. And that's, you know, like you said, watching them play, that's one of the things when you see the joy on these kids' faces playing. That's 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 the win right there. It really is. It really is. It really <laughs> One is. One day we'll get to hold the cup up, but you know what? We're still winning. <laughs> they're still having fun and they're making friends and networking yeah. and all that yeah, kind of yeah. the whole nine yards. Yep. All right. Well, I know you got to get out of here and go do something funner than this. So <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Thank you, David. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Welcome back, everybody. We're now at the portion of the program where we are covering a book. We're doing an audio book, Mr. Willie Hoppy's 30 Years of Billiards, originally published in 1925. And we are on Chapter 7, as it were. If you would like to catch up to where we are, feel free to go back to the previous week's episodes. And uh, I believe we covered two chapters at a time. So today, Chapter 7, Travel and Adventure. There was plenty of variety in our life on the road. No two billiard tables were quite the same, and we were called upon to play with balls of assorted shapes and sizes. In a little Ohio town, the room keeper handed us a set of ivory balls that had seen long service. The two white balls varied nearly a quarter of an inch. I had the smaller of the two for my cue ball. After the first few strokes, I discovered that I could make the most amazing draw shots with very little effort. But follow shots were almost out of the question. That little ball simply would not follow one of the object balls without prodigious amounts of topspin. So I had to readjust my game accordingly and play and by playing all draw shots and cushion caroms made a very credible creditable average there were differences too in cushions and cloth occasionally we would we would strike a brand new cloth and fast cushions a combination that we greatly enjoyed although it made scoring difficult again we would find old and worn cloth with the nap gone and the surface consequently slow and uncertain On an old cloth, where the balls settle, you can nurse them for long runs with a fairly delicate stroke. From one town to another, it was necessary to adjust our game to changing conditions. 
And although Frank and I used to growl and grumble like a couple of prima donnas, we were just getting valuable experience. The ability to readjust my stroke to meet the eccentricities of ivory and cloth has been a big factor in my championship career. A roomkeeper in Springfield, Massachusetts, engaged us to give an exhibition at the opening of his new establishment. He paid us a flat guarantee of $25 and invited the public to come without admission charge to see us to see his fine place. When the when the hour arrived for our exhibition, the crowd was so great the police had been summoned to make a lane for the door for Frank and I to reach the table. They were standing on tables, hanging on to cue racks, perched in every nook and cranny around the wall. They even climbed all over the poor man's electric piano, kicking out the stained glass panels with their heels. When the exhibition was over and the crowd had gone, the roomkeeper surveyed a sorry sight. The cue racks had been pulled loose from the wall, the tables had been trampled and burned with cigarette stubs. Everywhere was ruin and desolation. But the roomkeeper was a philosopher. When we told him that was the biggest crowd we had ever played for in all of our travels, he was greatly elated. He lit a cigar and said, Well, if one-tenth of them come back and try some of the tricks you boys showed them, I'll get my money back. In Carthage, Missouri, we had among the spectators a very distinguished-looking individual with a black beard and frock coat. When our exhibition was over, he came up to my mother and said, I'm a hypnotist. I can hypnotize that boy of yours so he'll fall asleep. Huh, my mother said. I can hypnotize him. The black-bearded man went on, so he'll never be able to play billiards again. Nonsense, my mother said. Or, said the hypnotist, I can hypnotize him so he'll be the greatest billiard player that ever lived. My father, who was standing near, broke into the conversation. You say you can hypnotize Willie so he'll play a better game of billiards? Certainly, said the black-bearded man. I can hypnotize him so he can play billiards with his eyes shut, him or anybody else. Look here, stranger, he finally said. I'll make you a proposition. You take any other boy and cast your spell on him, Hypnotize him as much as you want and make him as good a billiard player as you can. Then, said my father, putting his hand on my shoulder, I'll back Willie against him for a thousand dollars. The hypnotist didn't take the offer, which was just as well because my father didn't have a thousand dollars to put up. But he retreated in some confusion. My mother worried about the incident in spite of her skepticism and she warned me not to be attracted to the gaze of frock-coated strangers with black beards and piercing eyes. So, in big towns and little towns, my billiard, 
my billiard education progressed and my contacts with life reached out in an ever-widening circle. Each day I had a strange billiard table to solve, and each day some new problem in the mastery of three ivory billiard balls arose to keep my young mind busy. That concludes chapter 7. And for chapter 8, my mother takes a hand at the game. Did I say chapter 7? Nope, chapter 8. That's right. Frank grew tired of life on the road. Perhaps it was my father's stern discipline. More likely, he did not possess the keen enthusiasm for billiards that kept my interest alive in the game. At any rate, when we returned to Cornwall in the spring of 1900, after a long trip around the country, Frank announced that he was going to study stenography and go into business. That left me without a playing partner. We held a family, a family conference at Grandfather Hoffman's house, and it was decided that my mother should learn the game and take Frank's place in our little billiard troupe. A year or two before, the Brunswick Balk Colander Company had made me a present of a fine 5 by 10 billiard table. Cornwall was still our family headquarters, so we set up the table in a large loft in my grandfather's barn, and there I used to practice during the summer months. My mother now shared those long practice hours with me. My father and I took turns teaching her how to hold the cue, <clears throat> how to draw and follow the how to draw and follow and control the dead ball. She showed surprising aptitude for the game. Before many weeks, she was making runs of 15 and 20 with regularity. In addition, she mastered a number of fancy shots for exhibition purposes. In October, we fared forth again. New York was our first stop, and Maurice Daly was again a host for a series of exhibition matches. This time we played at his big room at 35th Street and Broadway, now occupied by Joe Thumb's Academy. The novelty of a woman billiard player grew quite a crowd to Daly's, and when we were introduced and made ready to string for the break, two or three onlookers had gathered to watch us. I was playing a hundred or no count to my mother's straight billiards. In other words, I had to reach a hundred in a single run, before she could accumulate the same number in separate innings. My mother won the bank and missed the opening shot. I had an easy one-cushion shot for position and gathered them nicely on the rail. Of course, I had to play my best no matter who was holding the other cue. I reached the first hundred in a little more than five minutes of play and was well started on the second when an accidental foul stopped me at 119. Poor mother. She seemed nervous when she stepped to the table again. All the, nice all the nice strokes and strategy we had taught her in Cornwall had fled from her mind. She made a single carom and sat down. I ran a dozen or so and then tripped up. Mother succeeded in collecting eight billiards, one at a time, before I got the balls bunched on the rail again and ran my second hundred. 
In the fancy shot exhibition that followed, she regained her nerve, however, and made a number of very difficult masses, winning a hearty burst of applause from the spectators. During the week that remained, during the week that we remained in New York, New York Mr. Daly took me in hand for several several hours each day. He taught me a lot about second ball play and close position work. He was enthusiastic about the progress I had made, and he said to my father, Frank, I can't teach that boy of yours anything about billiards. He knows as much as I do right now. The only thing I might show him is how to use a bridge, but he won't touch one. My father explained that I had been spoiled, as far as the use of the bridge was concerned. Having permitted me to climb all over the table as a small boy, he couldn't break me of the habit now that I had grown to the mature age of thirteen, and it was a fact that I would never touch a bridge when the leniency of the referee would let me climb up on li and lie flat on the table. My mother's game improved after we had left New York. She made several creditable runs, the highest being thirty-six. Meanwhile, my own game was undergoing a thorough revision because I had mastered straight rail and the rail nurse, and was beginning to experiment with the ball climb, the recognized professional test for billiard players. At every opportunity, I had the lines drawn on the table, and I practiced under the ball climb restrictions. In the game of 14.2, which was standard at that time, the lines are drawn 14 inches from each cushion, and the player is allowed two shots in the restricted space. On the second shot, he must drive one of the object balls across the line, or he for forfeits his point and the turn. Whereas in straight rail, the great problem was to get the balls together on the rail. Now my objective was to gather them near the balk lines, preferably astride the lines where they could be nursed without penalty. This new problem added zest to the game and kept me continually on edge, both during practice and in exhibition matches to experiment. And that concludes chapter eight. Thanks for joining us guys and join us again next week for chapters nine and 10 of Willie Hoppy's 30 Years of Billiards right here on American Billiard Radio.